Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit, where every other week opposite the main Hey YA podcast, we'll bring you a short form podcast of YA talk across a wide range of topics. I am Erica Ezefetti. So my reading tastes have changed a lot over the years, which of course is not surprising at all. But I will say that I've always loved reading historical fiction. When I was younger, though, I remember that most of the historical fiction I read took place in medieval Europe, especially in England, uh, with a few in China, whether that was ancient China or maybe just within the last couple hundred years. And I'm not sure why that was. I don't know if it was like just my preference at the time or if it was just a lot of what my school libraries had. I don't remember it having too much of a preference in where my historical fiction took place. But I do remember really loving books that were a little antiquated and had magical elements and court or palace life. Like I wanted a dragon or two, you know, some pretty dresses, a little razzle dazzle, you know. So I guess that explains it. In any case, I still really love historical fiction, but I have since expanded the settings that the historical fiction I read takes place in. Yes, I still do love a good dose of court intrigue, and I will always appreciate a good palace dress and a couple jade hair combs that have been passed down through the generations, because that was like always a thing for some reason with the historical fiction I read that took place in China, which I mean, I'm always here for. It makes sense. It's pretty. But as I said, I have been reading more books that take place in different eras, a few of which I will share with you today. But before I do... I will let you know about our sponsor. If you love this show, you're bound to love many of our others. Subscribe to Red or Dead for the updates on the world of mysteries and thrillers, or download SFF Yeah for happenings and recommendations in sci-fi and fantasy. And don't miss When in Romance for updates on all things kissing books. We've got a show for everyone. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen for a full list of all our podcasts or simply type Book Riot in the search bar of your podcatcher of choice. It'll bring up the full stable. Your TBR and the podcast shaped hole in your heart will be full. Happy listening. Okay, so first up I have All That Glitters by Gita Trelise or Enchante by Gita Trelise. I say or because the paperback is called All That Glitters, while the hardcover is called Enchante, and then the series is also called Enchante. Just wanted to point that out in case there was any confusion. So anyway, it takes place in an alternate history version of Paris, France in 1789, which is during Marie Antoinette's reign. It has to have one of the best opening lines I've read in a while, which I'll read for you now. It goes... Quote, Eve's Rencourt, the Chandler's apprentice, had lost his wig. End quote. I mean, if you've read a better first line in a book, I'd love to hear it. 
but that has to be one of my favorites ever, at least of this year so far. So once Eves, poor wigless Eves, finds his missing wig, he also finds that he's been tricked by a red-haired young woman who he sold candles to earlier. The young woman is named Camille. He doesn't know that, but we find out that she's named Camille. She's a teenager who performs magic that can use sorrow to transform small everyday items into money. The problem is the coins can turn back. She takes the risk, though, because her parents died of smallpox, and it's the only way she can take care of her little sister without becoming a sex worker, essentially. So as you might imagine, job prospects for women at this time were abysmal, to say the least. You know, magic or not, alternate history or not, it's always, you know, pretty grim for women. So she can barely keep food on the table as it is, but her older brother, Elaine, who is now considered to be the man of the house, struggles with alcoholism, is exceedingly selfish, and often squanders what little money they do have. So one day he hurts Camille for holding him accountable, and soon after that he takes off with all their money. She starts having issues making items stay transformed as coins and decides to try another darker kind of magic. This kind of magic changes her appearance and she starts to masquerade as a baroness and gets into the aristocratic crowd in Versailles Palace. So she starts gambling, getting swept up in palace life, and relies a little too much on her magic and the things it can bring her. So she also becomes interested in this young inventor who is half Indian and half French. And she finds out also that she's not the only one who can wield magic in the palace. And through all of this, she she starts to, you know, after having not had anything or barely had enough money to buy food, to buy medicine for her little sister, to pay rent, suddenly she has access to excess and all this lavishness. So she struggles to remember her purpose in what she was doing. And as she's struggling with that, the revolution is starting. So we remember what happened with Marie Antoinette and some bread and some cake, you know? Although um, I believe Marie Antoinette did not actually utter that phrase, but it was like, with the phrase being, let them eat cake. She didn't really say that, but that was just said to exemplify the disconnect between, you know, royals and the common people. Tangent aside, this book has elements of some other familiar stories that I think you would appreciate and like once you notice them. Uh, But some of the most obvious to me were Les Miserables, uh, most obviously because of the setting and the struggle with poverty. I feel like Camille is kind of like Fantine, or Fantine, sorry, in how she tries to take care of her little sister. I feel like if Fantine could wield magic, she'd have done basically the same thing. It also has elements from Aladdin, especially the beginning when she was kind of weaving through the streets. The candle maker I mentioned before called out that she had stolen from him, and later she pretends to be rich through magic, much like Aladdin did with Genie's Wishes. It also really makes France come alive, I think, and I enjoyed the descriptions as well as the inclusion of all the French words and sayings throughout. So again, that's All That Glitters by Gita Trillise or Enchanté by Gita Trillise. Next, I have Butterfly Yellow by Tong Ha Lai. So six years after the Vietnam War ends, 
Hong finally makes it to the United States, where she means to find her younger brother, Lin. Years ago, Hong had gone with Lin to the airport to escape to America, but he was taken from her, leaving her behind. Um, And that was all this basically just big misunderstanding. So she's been looking for him ever since, or trying to get back to him ever since. So the year is 1981, and Hong has made it to Texas finally with refugee status and is meant to live with her uncle. She hasn't gone to America to start a new life, though. She's gone with the sole purpose of finding her brother. So at the first chance she gets, she heads toward an address in Amarillo, Texas, that she hopes will lead her to her brother. During her journey, she misses the bus, and there is this young man, Leroy, who Hong comes across, who is on his way to meet a cowboy idol. Once he's paid to take Hong to the address by an elderly couple, the two of them find that the house at the address is abandoned. So then she gets pointed towards the woman who adopted her brother, Lin, and Leroy is willing to drive her there since what he was interested in didn't quite pan out as he wanted. You know what they say about meeting your idols. Okay, so when... Hong finally reunites with her brother, whose name is now David. It's actually such a letdown, and it's really heartbreaking. I say that because her little brother does not remember her at all, and he doesn't remember life in Vietnam. On top of that, he's not really interested at all in getting to know her, which makes sense when you think about it, because she's if he doesn't remember her from their childhood and he doesn't remember Vietnam, she's essentially a stranger. So this breaks her heart, basically, but she's determined and she and Leroy end up finding work on a ranch near where David slash Lynn now lives. As they work on the ranch, Hong spends time with her brother, gradually learning to relate to him and Leroy finds out what it's like to be a real cowboy, something that he has attached his identity to. So by spending time together, the two begin to really understand each other, even when other people don't. And they also offer space for the other to kind of work on their demons and work on their kind of like their life goals and like where they want to go next in life and their identity and self-worth and all those, you know, extra good (laughs) grown-up things. So for Hong, demons come in the form of the guilt and trauma of losing your little brother and the immense trauma of everything she's endured since. And for Leroy, he's searching for something and trying to assume the life of a cowboy, a lifestyle his college professor parents really don't care for. So you have to kind of think, like, why is he going so far out of his way to try to, like, put on this persona? It's really interesting about this book is how the language is handled. Vietnamese language is interwoven throughout in some really clever ways that show how Hong is struggling to learn English and piece together words and sentences to communicate. So I feel like it gives a very good look into what it's like to be suddenly thrust into this new country with a totally different language that is very different from your mother tongue. And I think it gives a good appreciation for what refugees go through in, you know, trying to um, flee to safety and freedom and all those things, you know. So with that said, it can be a little confusing and a little disorienting at times to read it. But again, I feel like it's good to kind of sit with that confusion a little bit, you know, to kind of see how 
other people live when they come to when they come to our country and when they go to other countries where their mother tongue is not the common language. So again, that's Butterfly Yellow by Tong Ha Lai. Next book I have for you is The Most Dazzling Girl in Berlin by Kip Wilson. It is told in verse if you're looking for more poetry to read for National Poetry Month. It's set in 1932 in Berlin, uh, as you may have already guessed, and follows Hilda, who is 18 and has just left the orphanage she has been living in since her mother passed away eight years ago. We follow her as she wanders from business to business looking for work. And many times people are just outright telling her no, or nine, because it's Germany. (laughs) Part of my terrible German accent. I'm so sorry. So then sometimes there are people who seem like they will hire her until they get a look at her and see that she looks a little like bedraggled. Her hair is a bit of a mess. Her clothing is tattered and she's a little grimy. You know, it's real out here. Her money is dwindling down and she doesn't have food or a place to stay and it starts to rain. So she comes across this nightclub called Cafe Lila when she feels like she is like at her worst, looking her worst, feeling her worst since she left the orphanage, all those things. Um, And on top of everything else, she's wet from the rain. So the music and the appearance of all these fabulous, red-lipped and interesting looking women draws her in then. And at a certain point, she kind of remembers herself and she starts to feel like she doesn't belong. And she senses that she will be rejected once someone sees her. So she turns around to leave when she bumps into this glamorous woman who asks her where she's going. She's like, okay, girl, the party is this way. Where are you going? Where are you going outside? Basically, right? So this lady, whose name we find out is Rosa, guides her back inside and she makes Hilda feel welcome. Um, She never really makes her feel like she looks odd and has just this great presence and a welcoming and also intriguing energy. She even says that Hilda looks like Louise Brooks, who, if you're not familiar, is probably like the actress that people most associate with the flapper or the flapper era. So Rosa ends up going on stage to sing and Hilda is just smitten with her. She realizes she's really drawn to her and she can kind of see herself with Rosa. Now, leading up to this point, we learn bits and pieces about this girl named Gretchen, who was at the orphanage with Hilda and someone who Hilda had a relationship with. So when Gretchen is introduced, it's yet another moment of sadness for Hilda because Gretchen essentially left the orphanage and like never looked back, not even for Hilda, which in addition to how ready Hilda is to leave the orphanage, it makes you think about how awful it was for the two girls to live there and for other girls as well. So yet another point of sadness. So Hilda starts helping with waiting tables at the night at the nightclub and she just melts right into the role. She fits in. Rosa lets her stay at her aunt's house with her and Hilda finds this great queer community through the Cafe Lila. The thing is, this takes place months before Hitler's rise to power in 1932. So as a reader, it's very bittersweet because you know what's to come, but you want this moment of freedom and joy that Hilda is finally experiencing to last forever, but we know it won't. So the author mentioned how she wanted to show how joyous and accepting the Weimar era of Germany could be for queer people before Nazis took over. And I think she does that with this book. This book is like the movie 
if you remember the movie Cabaret starring Liza Minnelli, but it's also definitely its own wonderful thing. So again, that's The Most Dazzling Girl in Berlin by Kip Wilson. The last book I have for you that I'm going to squeeze in for you today is another one that's in verse, and it is called And We Rise by Erica Martin. This is a very accessible summary of the civil rights movement in the U.S. starting in 1877 with Jim Crow. It uses things like repetition, negative space, and even sometimes just plainly stating the horrible, awful conditions that Black Americans have endured since the advent of this country, basically. Now, while I do say it is accessible, meaning it's a good, concise introduction to a lot of major historical moments that drove the movement forward, that does not mean it is necessarily easy to read. The N-word comes up on the pages from time to time. It's spelled out entirely, and it's meant to be offensive. And it talks, as I mentioned before, about the horrible mistreatment that is at times lethal. It doesn't shy away from describing death and other things as grotesquely as they were in real life. Uh, For instance, it describes the conditions that children who were victims of the Negro Boys Industrial School Fire of 1959 were living in before the tragedy happened, which, by the way, I had never actually heard of before this book. So that's a testament to what it sets out to do, which is to summarize the civil rights movement in these short poems throughout. Similarly, The aftermath of that tragedy, that same tragedy, which is the Negro Boys Industrial School Fire of 1959, the aftermath of that is described in a way that helps you to really visualize the gravity of it. By that, I mean the structure of the poem, like the actual, how it appears on the page. It helps you kind of visualize what is being described as well. There are also pictures included here and there you know, just throughout the book that helped to put you right there in the moment. There are a lot of these like iconic pictures that I think many people will recognize and maybe a few new ones. So definitely get the book, but be prepared for what it entails. So once again, that is And We Rise by Erica Martin. Thanks so much for tuning in today, as well as our sponsor for making the day show possible. You can follow me at Erica underscore EZE underscore on Twitter. Big shout out to Jen Zink, our audio editor, for making me sound great and like a normal person. We'll see you next week on the main podcast where I'll be joined by Tears of Price. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading.